trembling while heaven comes to peasants. If you came because you believe that God loves animals as much as people and so made them some of the first witnesses to the saving of the world. If you came for a story of reversals that might end up reversing you. If you came for a tale of adventure and bravery where strong and gentle people win and the powerful and violent go down to the dust where the rich lose their money, but they find their lives, and the poor are raised up like kings. If you came to be reminded that God loves you too much to leave you unchanged, if you came to follow the light even if it blinds you, if you came for salvation and not safety, then, my friends, you are in precisely the right place. So what are you here for? These are the words of the Reverend Quinn Caldwell in his book, All I Really Want. He calls us to attention. What do we imagine that we are here for? This morning, we are not gathering together for Christmas Eve. I'm sorry. But it is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas Eve will happen tonight, but this morning we are not quite there. We stand on the edge of the precipice of that faithful promise of the coming king, and we can feel it in our gut, the butterflies, the hope, the anticipation, yes, even the fear. And our scripture today comes at a time just like this when another group of people found themselves desperately waiting and longing. The book of Jeremiah was written to a people in exile, Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, they have all been burned down, the people carried off, the fields salted. Generations have passed and still they sit in waiting. The book of Jeremiah is one promise of destruction after another, the culmination of what happens when the people of God turn their back on their covenant with God, when they stop trusting when they have been found guilty of exploiting the vulnerable and failing to care for the least in their presence. And yet, in the middle of all this destruction, God pauses. And he addresses his people directly. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I have made. And in those days, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Into despair, these words of hope are spoken. As human beings, we meet despair when we can no longer imagine God's promised alternative future in our life. And this is why Advent is so important, why we don't just skip over this morning to get to tonight, because During the season of Advent, we are called to engage in the strenuous and crucial task of imagination. Theological imagination is not speculative. It's not pie in the sky, head in the clouds. It relies on God's continuous presence, and it acts on behalf of creation over time. It trusts in God's provision for us in the past, so we can imagine the shape of God's fulfillment of promises in the future. 
it seems to me that there's a lot of despair in our world today, and plenty of it in the church as well. We have forgotten the power and the importance of a holy imagination, and we have let our small conception of reality become our defining story, and it has led us into a dark place. Perhaps we have let ourselves be talked into becoming too grown up. We have forgotten that Jesus told us that we must be like little children to enter into the kingdom of God. Children have no problem with imagination. They can close their eyes and create worlds and friends and stories and adventures. They become doctors, spacemen, presidents, princesses. They save the day. They defeat evil. They restore order to a world that needs it. But as we grow up, we have that drilled out of us. We are told to stop dreaming, to get our heads out of the clouds. We are told to face reality and grow up. And we forget the power of imagination to shape the world and to shape our own lives. We forget that imagination is one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave to men and women. Through imagination, we are gifted the chance to envision a world that is beyond what our finite eyes can see. A future that defies what seems inevitable. We can even imagine that a tiny baby born to a poor girl in a village in Israel thousands of years ago is God-made flesh. A world where life triumphs over death. Holy imagination is the thing that gives us hope that God is present and working in the midst of our pain and our sorrow. God speaks to his people and tells them, imagine. Imagine a coming time when there will be a ruler who finally rules like one should. Who doesn't abuse his power, exploit the poor, pervert justice for her own benefit. One who is righteous and upholds justice and cares for people. Imagine a day when your cities will be restored and you will be safe instead of constantly afraid. Without the power of holy imagination, we become brittle. We lose our resiliency in this world. We all know people like this. Perhaps we might have even become people like this people who cannot see a way forward, who cannot find hope in the midst of their circumstances, people who can only see their own pain and their own sorrow. After all, the gift of imagination, more than anything, is that it allows us to love. Because love requires us to be able to put ourselves into the life of another, to imagine living life as another person, to look through the world in their eyes. Those who have lost the gift of imagination end up living small lives that exist around scarcity and fear. They cannot imagine, so they cannot empathize with others any longer. Whether it's a spouse, a child, 
a refugee, or a stranger. For these people, all it takes is a small bump in the road to send them into a spiral to break them. But a holy imagination, it can give a person the kind of strength that defies the world and its expectations. It can help a person bend and sometimes, yes, painfully, but not break. It can give a person the strength to fight the worst diagnosis. It can also give a person the strength to let go and trust that there is more beyond this world. As I was driving home last night, I was listening to the radio when I heard the story of Lucas Costers. Lucas was a nine-year-old boy living in Philadelphia when he was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of stomach cancer. But Lucas wasn't daunted. He was determined to fight the disease. He was a longtime Eagles football fan, and he imagined that one day he would grow up and play in the NFL just like all of his heroes. And at first, it went well. He had chemo and radiation and surgery, and Lucas improved. And everyone thought that he had finally beat his cancer. But a month after returning home, the doctors called Lucas's mom. His cancer was back. And this time, there wasn't anything they could do. We spent a lot of time talking about him when we were in the hospital, said Lucas's mom. The idea of hope that Carson Wentz meant for the Eagles. It was an inspiration for Lucas, and he continued to drive to get back on the field himself. Now, if you're not football fans, you won't know, but Carson Wentz is the new quarterback for Lucas's favorite football team, the Philadelphia Eagles. And he was an inspiration for Lucas every day as he fought in that hospital. And when Make-A-Wish Foundation finally came to Lucas and asked him what he wanted to do more than all, he said he wanted to thank Carson for bringing hope back to the city. He got the chance to visit the team, to go to the facility, and while he was there, he gave Carson Wentz a bracelet that he had made. Even in the midst of his greatest battle, knowing that he was going to die, Lucas still found hope and gratitude for others in his presence. Two weeks after visiting his hero and fulfilling his dream, Lucas died. He was 10 years old. When his family gathered together this year to watch the first Eagles football game, it was the first game that they had watched without their son. You can imagine how shocked they were then when the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz, ran out onto the field, moved his arm, and they saw Lucas's bracelet. He's worn that bracelet every game since. And in a moment, that bracelet, that tiny hope, gave them a way to imagine the world where death was not the end of the story and where they would see their son again. That is the power of holy imagination. It gives us the hope that we will be seen through the very worst that this world can throw at us. 
when we read stories of unimaginable pain, when we ask ourselves how someone could possibly get through that, their resiliency comes from embracing the gift of imagination. In the face of that gift, nothing, not divorce, death, war, famine, whatever horrors our minds can bring, dream up, can win. Because in that space, that small space, God meets us. And our faith, and he draws us to himself. He whispers into our ear, the days are surely coming. My good friend from seminary, Mark, told me a story one time. He said, it was the 97 World Series between the Marlins and the Indians, and I was 14. Florida was tied, it was the bottom of the ninth, and neither team had scored in the tenth, and I told my dad I was going to bed. I'll never forget his response. This is game seven of the World Series. It's in the eleventh inning. You can't go to bed. We were neither Marlins nor Indians fans, he said, but I stayed up. And I watched the eleventh inning with my bare eyes barely open, and I saw the Marlins drive in the winning run. I still remember seeing Cleveland star Jim Tome sitting down on the field as the Florida players celebrated around him. I remember asking my dad, why is he so upset? His team had a better year than anybody else that didn't make it to the World Series. His dad looked at him and said, it doesn't work like that. When you get as close as they did, it hurts the most. When you get that close to realizing the pinnacle of your imagination, it hurts the most. Not because it crushes you, but because it lets you see for just a second that it is actually attainable and yet not quite within your grasp yet. And for those of us on this side of the incarnation, perhaps this is why holy imagination is so painful. Because for just a second in time, when Jesus was born and he walked this earth, we could see the pinnacle of all of our hopes and our dreams, the height of what it meant to be human and what it meant for God to be with us, Emmanuel. And so tonight and tomorrow, we will gather together as friends and as family across the world and we will invoke our imaginations once again about what happened on that holy night and what will happen when he returns again. We will turn our hearts and minds to a young Mary who looked into the face of Jesus and saw the promise that God had made through Jeremiah long ago when she sang out, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in their thoughts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. The imagination of long ago reborn into a new imagination for us today. And so we are asked once again, 
What do you imagine you're here for? As Advent comes to a close and Christmas dawns, let it be an expanded imagination that envisions a hope for each of us and a hope for the world in which the light will overcome the darkness.